Venue IQ, the award-winning UK-based event platform, are proud to partner this podcast series. We really hope you enjoy it, and when you're done, head over to venu-iq.com to find out all about our on-demand event builder service, featuring fully branded native apps and hybrid web platforms created in as little as 24 hours. We believe in live events and getting your audience to the most important content, sponsors, exhibitors and opportunities as quickly and as easy as possible. We don't believe in gimmicks, so you won't find any avatars or digital buildings anywhere in sight. Venue IQ had already won awards for best conference technology and best use of AI. And that was before we added registration, live streaming, one-to-one video meetings, video breakout sessions and much, much more. Simple, transparent pricing that won't blow your budget from a UK-based team who really care. At Venue IQ, we work to ensure your event, whether live, virtual or both, can be a monumental success in this brave new world. That's venu-iq.com. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Event Industry News podcast. Um, I am joined by a fellow Mancunian, Ben Robinson today, Festival Director of Blue Dot Festival. For those that don't know, Blue Dot is a music, science and cultural festival which takes place every July up here at Jodrell Bank Observatory in North Cheshire. And today, Ben's here to actually talk about their transition into doing a weekend in outer space, which was a free-to-view online weekend hosted by Blue Dot Festival at the end of last month, and we are now recording this podcast in August. So, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Good to have you on. I like a fellow Mancunian because I tend to interview lots of Londoners and Southerners ah, and, and, and people yeah. all around the world. So you might be the first, actually. Just to be fully honest, I'm actually Cumbrian, born and bred, uh, but resident in Manchester as it's kind of the hive for the northwest of all, all the music and creativity. But, Absolutely. you know, um, very, very close, close to home and is home Manchester now. So was it was it festival and events that brought you up to up to the north then? Uh, no, so Cumbria is even further north than Manchester. So, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, um, yeah. I'm, I'm still thinking down south, mate. <laughs> there you go, there you go. A, lot, a lot of people think it's in uh, in Europe and somewhere else, but yeah, Cumbria uh, is where I began in a little village where I grew up uh, with a huge, huge uh, passion for music. Uh, you kind of had to make your own fun uh, where I grew up, and I got into playing guitar, got into putting on nights. Yeah. Uh, just watched a lot of music documentaries, grew up uh, buying Definitely Maybe as my first record, went yeah. to Loch Lomond, which was the week before Nebworth as my first outdoor concert I ever went to. I was just, just hooked by the energy, you know, those times it was intoxicating uh, and just wanted to be in a band. And if I couldn't be in a band, wanted to be involved in music in some way, shape or form. Kind of knew that from going to my first um, full festival the year after um Loch Lomond in 96 I think um 97 I think went out of V97 when it was still at um Temple Newsome I think at the time mm-hmm. outside Leeds which it eventually became Leeds Festival side before before that moved on again uh came back from there and I was just like I just never want to come home from festivals I just want to be in a festival uh, I've got that really distinct memory of arriving home and, and kind of not sitting on a chair or on the bed but sitting on the floor and Kind of just trying to still be in that camping environment. Um, so yeah, I guess that that those couple of summers, those the, you know, Loch Lomond is a major event. First time away from home by myself, and then V ninety seven, which was you know, still to this day bizarrely. If I if I could book V ninety seven's lineup for Kendall Collins next yeah. year, biggest most massive thing ever. Uh, it's insane to look at those old bills and how those bands have carried you know they've carried on their uh, the kind of 
being huge live live incredible artists you know the likes of Underworld, Chemical Brothers, things like that which you know in a way actually would take two of our headliners for Blue Dot eventually. Yeah so how did then you get involved as with Blue Dot was it was it you that came up with the concept did you launch the festival how did you become festival director at Blue Dot? Yeah well it was interesting so you put on the questions how did you become a festival director and I actually <laughs> Because I thought, I don't think it's a thing becoming a festival director because I don't think, I don't know that you really apply for that job. It's, you know, for all the festival directors that I know, um, that they have gotten involved through some huge amount of passion and ingenuity uh, yeah. into doing things which, which have, have developed and evolved and, and become festivals and communities around those festivals. Uh, so for me, my story starts with, with me being in Cumbria, having gone to university, came back, bummed out learned how to play guitar and listen to a lot of music. Uh, or I don't know what I want to do myself, but it's got to be something to do with music still. Yeah. I continue that passion through. Uh, played in a few bands. <clears throat> all my mates went travelling. Couldn't afford to go travelling because I bummed out of uni, spent all my money. Uh, decided to put some gigs on. Um, basically thought I'm not just going to work uh, uh, the job that I had, which was driving me insane and was rather dull. Uh, so threw, threw everything into putting some gigs on. Uh, was lucky enough to get on a, a promote uh, mentoring scheme, which was run by Jim Maudsley uh, yeah. and Generator. Uh, they were they were good enough to notice that Cumbria was lacking an infrastructure and a scene. So they did a project uh, which put put together one of the promoters or promoters from around Cumbria to share mm -hmm. share artists to kind of get a mini touring circuit going throughout Cumbria. So Cumbria is actually the most uh, spread out county in the country in terms oh, of really population it's yeah. the most spread out so that's kind of challenging working up there getting audiences with it being so kind of really spread out through that met andy smith who was a kind of 16 17 year old promoter doing stuff in kendall uh and me and andy thought you know let's let's do a bigger gig put a gig on together at Rui Arts center for 300 people that sold out uh, couldn't find a bigger venue, so thought let's put a tent in a field uh, and yeah. that Kendall Colin. And going from being a promoter who really wanted to start a label more than anything, uh, suddenly ended up running a festival, becoming a festival director. Uh, and then Kendall Colin grew from 900 capacity on a two day thing in the middle of Kendall, moved out to a farm over two years, grew up to 4,000 in three days in camping. Uh, went through a horrendous mud years, started to learn about the need for track wind when yep. uh, things get muddy. Had, a, had a, some experiences of putting paths and all that kind of stuff. Service. You just kind of learn, learn how to trade. And, you know, we often look back and go, I'm so glad social media didn't exist back then because, you know, some of the learnings that we had now would have been three, four hundred negative tweets online. You know, yeah. there's, yeah. there's a certain development, I think, of the boutique festival. As, as an industry and as a profession over the last 10 years, you know, it's kind of a, a lot of learning on the job for everyone involved, you know, with, with things like Festival, Secret Garden Party, Big Chill kind of, you know, becoming the big names and establishing kind of those formats. But again, I think, you know, thinking about the people that run those, they were just people who were like, oh, let's throw, let's throw a cool party for us now, mates. Oh, this is going quite well. Let's make it a bit bigger. Oh, let's yep. have some camping. And then somewhere along the lines, you're like, wow, I'm a festival director. And I'm sitting behind gigantic spreadsheets, saying, <laughs> "Now to wrestle with Live Nation, I didn't know really existed around artist exclusivities, and I'm getting shouted at by bands managers. I used to love that band, but now they've, they've kind of 
taking the edge off because I've fallen out with him somewhere. Interesting, mate. Yeah, I guess it's it's the same as everybody, I guess, in the events industry. I, I feel like event organiser as a as a as an overriding term should underneath it the definition of a, I fell into it because that's kind of like how everybody I know there are event management courses out there and they're great run by universities and, and other institutions that, that help people get a start but from my experience of talking to individuals like yourself those people that run some of the biggest things that we see didn't necessarily actively mean to get to where they are they just had a passion for for events festivals bringing people together more importantly showing people a good time and then have probably learned very quickly around upskilling themselves around project management and and team management and health and safety and all those you know really important things that a lot of the world don't, don't see that go on behind the scenes right you know all that all that delivery all that planning all the all the checking off that everybody's safe and well and and looked after from a from from the i guess from a consumer perspective they just see a lot of cool bands in a field playing music and everybody having a good time and they don't realize the, the scope of work that goes behind it right it's that classic thing of up until a few years ago so my friends asking me what i did for the other 50 years weeks of the year <laughs> and then recently i had a couple of old friends who are builders and carpenters came to help out uh, on the week of the show and just stood there in absolute shock and they were like this is insane I can't believe how much is going on here and I was like well mm. yeah you need, we have to build the thing Do you know what I mean they were, they were just looking at all of the trucks the infrastructure you know the crew the fact that it's a construction site of quite yeah. scale operating you know in a, in a very short time scale and it was like I just never really thought about it uh, you're right I, I don't think many people do they, they kind of I guess they don't see the field when it's empty realize that within six weeks you know there's, there's a temporary village with some of the most amazing kind of you know bells and whistles you'll find anywhere in society at festivals you know absolutely mate. and i think it's really interesting that you you mentioned construction there because that's the way that i describe it to some of my friends you know but the different the major difference is you have an absolutely movable deadline there is no like oh we'll just yeah. delay it by a week or a day mm because we've not got quite things in place how we want to it's like it has to be ready for gates opening right and everything has to be checked off whereas if you're in construction if somebody doesn't turn up or you don't get a delivery of something it's kind of like oh well we'll just crack on with that tomorrow and move on to something else and you know construction can we all know the the horror stories of delays in construction and fines and stuff like that so i almost think it's 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 a harder job to do and right when people come from construction and see these events built in such a short time frame with so many moving parts I, th I do think they are taken aback a little bit um i guess that brings me on to what's it like being in your position right now where live events can't take place at the moment uh it's a it's a very good question uh it's kind of like every other day to be honest only a lot harder so you know from being a festival organizer over the last 10 or 15 years, this, this, this is just always something new. There's mm. never been a set format. We've been part, I would, I would, I would tentatively say we've been part of developing the format of festivals in terms of how we produced, you know, shared best practice across an industry that has been developing and growing, um, on it, on every level, you know, in, in terms of how, how we do things, how we build things, how we market things. Yep. You know, when we did the first festivals, social media didn't exist, you know, probably did the first five or six Kendall callings where we put the photos up two weeks after the show. So, you know, we've, we've had to develop into doing 
broadcasting on site at the time of the show. We've had to develop, you know, all these different things. So where we're at at the minute being a festival organizer, in a, in a way when this first happened and we went into lockdown and, you know, all, you know, all bets were off on a, a normal summer. It was actually really, really inspiring and interesting to see our team um, just burst into creativity going right well can we do this instead can we do that instead and, and it was it was like wow the the innovation and the dynamics of the mm. people that work in events is i think second to none there's just this like there's as, as you said there's a sense of urgency because we used to an immovable deadline so it's not like oh we'll have a bit of a think about this and come to it later you know we, we know we have to move with the times you have to move with audiences you have to move with you know the commercial constraints of everything um so the flurry of activity that we had for the first um, couple of months was fantastic. We, we looked at 101 other ideas. What else can we do this summer? How else can we do the festivals online? Uh, obviously, we, we did that. And it, it was almost like a, a tidal wave of everyone in the industry doing it, going, OK, what, what else should we do? Suddenly, everyone was talking about drive-in cinema. We kind of had a look at that for a while and then decided maybe it wasn't the right, right thing to, to jump in on. <coughs> Uh, and then, yeah, so, so we, we're kicking around a load of ideas. Um, probably, you know, it's reminding me a little bit of, of the earlier years of the festivals be, before the formats for how the festivals were run, were created before the audiences were there and the staffing and the structure, because what we created with Kendall over the last 10 years and what we've then taken most of the good best practice from Kendall to create Blue Dot as its format in terms of budgeting, infrastructure, staffing, and how does the festival run? All, all that stuff's become quite... Um, kind of set in a way. And I think in the minute it's it's almost like this huge reset of okay, here's a whole new puzzle. How do how do we do an event kind of within this place? So it kind of jumped from mania uh and creativity uh to then just just feeling like you're hitting brick walls and then having a few days where you can't really don't really know what to do. Uh you know, and kind of kind of the negative side of it kicks in. Uh but I think we've all talked enough about the negative side. So I mean like dialed into that today but yeah. my, my main thing i keep going back to is the muhammad ali quote and that's how it feels like this whole period you know get knocked down seven times get up eight and that's that's just every time we're looking at something at the minute it's like let's there will be something here there will be something we can do there will be new profitable models you know there will be a way through this but it's it's not going to be obvious so we've just got to keep at it yeah, I mean, ultimately, as an industry, we are problem solvers, right? We, you know, yeah. every year when we turn up on a site, even if it's the same site or same venue that we've been to time and time again, things change because we're annual, right? You know, mm. things change. So we have to overcome challenges and problems. Sometimes we can see those problems coming further out. Sometimes they're thrown at us right there in the thick of it. And you have to you have to act. And I think that's what makes our industry so great and, and which has made it so resilient at the moment to, to what's happening. Put, taking on your point of innovation, I, I almost feel like there's been three to five years of innovation in three months, three or four months within our sector. Yeah. And the, the pause with the pressure has helped us to kind of like you say step back from what we've always done or oh now what really works really well is a kind of a, you know cogs turning in a machine like well that really works like and we'll tweak that little bit this year because we know that that didn't work really well that year and most of the focus is then generally on like audience experience and and the acts and all that kind of stuff right so i think it's a really interesting time i really feel that as a sector 
Um, I'd like to see some more support for government for our sector, but as a sector, I think we'll come out of it much stronger with different business models and new innovation. And I actually even think that it might attract some bigger investment into the sector because all of a sudden we're moving to these digital formats as well, which are sustainable, inclusive and all that kind of stuff. I guess was was that your primary driver then to to launch a weekend in outer space? I, I know prior to the podcast you main, mentioned there were kind of like three main drivers. So yeah, I mean, when 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 we looked at it, as, as everybody did, that question was asked: Can can we do these festivals as digital festivals, or can we? And we kind of looked at that, and we looked at what everybody else had done. And we kind of left it a bit, to be honest. We thought, you know, mm. we did an initial stream for for fun to engage the audiences, but we realised how much effort and work is involved in that. And also when you're streaming something online, you can't make an error because everyone will see it. Yeah. That level of stress, we kind of, we had a look at it and then we went, and this was the start of lockdown. We'd tell you what, let, let's just pause the show. Let's, you know, postpone it. And then let's get on with some other stuff and then come back at this when we, when we see what other people have done and, and we feel like, you know, what is the moment and what is the feeling. So when we came around to that point, we wanted to do something when the festival weekend would have been. Uh, and we wanted to do something um, to to just take people's attention away from everything going on. So we came up with this idea of a weekend in outer space because I was basically thinking, you know, you kind of sit and you think I could do getting away from all this and sitting on a beach somewhere. I'm like, well, I can't because there's COVID there. There's COVID everywhere on the planet. Excuse my friend. I thought, well, there isn't COVID in outer space. So let's do a weekend in outer space. Do you know what I mean? Let's try and get away from this and get some perspective, a bit of escapism, because that's what they're about. They're about escapism. And um, so we did, we framed it on that. We thought, let's do a weekend in outer space. Obviously, Blue Dot's name comes from um, a piece by Carl Sagan, an astronomer and a poet, where he um, got the Voyager spacecraft uh, to take a photograph from deep space looking backwards of the Earth. And when you look at that photograph, the Earth shows us like one tiny pixel in a sunbeam. And he, and he framed it in this, this uh, paragraph or this really interesting poem or whatever you want to call it that everyone should read. Uh, he framed it as the pale blue dot. So the idea of that is having this perspective of the earth looking back on it, that uh, everything that's ever happened, everyone that's ever existed has all been on this little dot and it's actually quite a vulnerable little thing in outer space. Um, so we thought, okay, let's, let's play with that because blue dot's all about outer space. Let's try and give people some perspective because at the minute everything is so dramatic in the moment that we do need some perspective uh, on how, on how you know, we're going to zoom out from this situation and life will continue in, into the future. So, yeah, that was the, like, the conceptual driver. It was let's escape to outer space for a weekend to go and have a party in space. Sounds good for um, me, mate. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Uh, and then we had a look at, you know, we wanted to engage the audience. Uh, we wanted to let them know that we were there with them. So we wanted to do something for, for the audience. Uh, we wanted to um, do something that, this, that our team could engage with. So yeah. that it felt like not everything we were doing was my, you know, kind of hitting this brick wall of, oh, actually, we can't do that because of regulations. It's like, let's do something we can be proud of. Do you know what I mean? Let's, let's remind people and remind ourselves what Blue Dot's all about. Uh, and then we applied for some funding from the Arts Council, uh, which gave us some basically some funding to pay for the content. They basically would look at it, uh, set up a fund so that people could apply for it to cover some of their own overheads against losses to keep the lights on, but also to to filter funds very quickly through to artists. Uh, and they saw that you know from the fields, which is Blue Dot and Kendall Calling and otherwise, 
we had the ability to, to get money to artists directly by giving them work straight off the bat. Yep. So that was nice. So that allowed us to do it for free. We thought, let's do it, do it as a, a free event. Let's, let's use it to engage people who maybe haven't been to Blue Dot with, with a version of Blue Dot that they can have a look at. Um, because we, the funding had been under it to, to, to do it, uh, we then directed everybody to donate towards Jodrell Bank. So Jodrell Bank is a deep space observatory in Cheshire. Uh, home to the um, Lavelle Telescope, yep. which is 76 meter wide, absolute um, inspirational piece of uh, ingenuity. And yeah, they've had a tough time. They've been closed. They're, they they get a lot of uh, money from the visitor centre to engage people in their work. So we thought that's something nice. Let's just remind people of the site. Let's remind them of the bigger picture of actually this this incredible thing that is one of the main aspects of Blue Dot. Uh, yeah, so we made it free as well. Um, it's amazing. I that, mean, that, that's the, thing, yeah. the, the, the way that you've curated, not only, you know, tied it into what the event is about and the, the na nature of it and its history, but then also tying that into, you know, helping artists out and, and ultimately fundraising for, you know, what is a national institution, isn't it? Jodrell Bank in terms of, like you say, I drive past it every now and again, and it's kind of like this big sculpture, as I see it in, in the middle of a field um, that's done some amazing things for, for society. So the, the fact that you've been able to tie all that up, and it, it's not just, you know, not just about you as, an, as, a, as a company, but how you can help support everything else that plays a role in, in the festival event. I think that's, that's amazing, mate, and hats off to you for, for tying all that together. That's that's not an easy challenge pulling all those strings together in, in you know in a single bow to, to make out what you did. What what did the content look like then? Because you're not just uh, music fest music, this, right? This was actually the most stressful, but in the end the most fun bit. Uh so yeah, it's quite square pegs and round holes, isn't it? That's all I keep going on about. Square pegs and round holes. So how do you get a festival experience, which is essentially a gathering of people in a field yep. uh, when you can't gather people in a field? But do you know what I mean? That's, that's been the whole conundrum of like, uh, uh, <laughs> like the very nature of what this is, is isn't this. Yep. So yeah, we kind of had, we, we had a look, um, how do we approach the content? We just wanted to, to kind of get a slice of everything, mm -hmm. but we also wanted to make sure that what we put online was good to engage with and fun, yep. energetic. Uh, so at Blue Dot, we have a, an amazing musical program. We also have a science uh, speakers program. And we also have a kind of art, lots of digital art, installation art. It's, it's all about kind of innovative, kind of boundary pushing um, things, you know. So, you know, the first year of the festival, we had John Michel Jarre with his laser harp. We've had all this all there. We've had Chemical Brothers and that's celebrating, you know, innovative production, whether or not in the moment or people who innovated it at the time and then we've got people who are coming through you know now like john hopkins uh and we've got like the coco coach fantastic bands you know bands who are doing things a bit differently so we wanted to represent that and then we we, we thought really hard about how to represent the speaker side of it uh we watched a few things like i kind of felt that by the time we came around to blue dot that having zoom interviews with people in bedrooms just wasn't going to be exciting enough you know, mm -hmm. you know in the dynamic of the festival environment having professors and speakers you know shoulder to shoulder with the rest of the entertainment that's the dynamic of blue dots so like, how, how do we kind of frame that 
so we hit upon the idea of actually launching a podcast series, which is the Blue Dot Podcast, because what I wanted to do was give longevity to any content that we were doing. Yeah. Seeing a lot of people spending a lot of time creating content, trying to create a moment. And, it, and it's not just the draw on our own personal stuff. It's when we're reaching out to people, they're saying, oh, how does this work? How will we do it? It's a lot of conversations. You're asking people to do things in their homes. You're asking a lot to just create content. So we wanted to make sure that anything we would create had some longevity to it uh, for, for the people involved and also for the festival, for the audiences. So, yeah, so we managed to put together a podcast series and we did four initial episodes. So the first episode was Andrianne. Uh, she was the um, colleague and wife of Carl Sagan. Yep. She was going to speak at the festival. Uh, she's just uh, launched a new series of Cosmos. So we were lucky enough for her to come back and say she'd love to be involved. Brian Cox is then a huge fan of that. Uh, he was inspired by Carl Sagan. So there was this really nice dynamic of Brian Cox then in conversation with Robin Ince and with Anne, which is just a fantastic piece. And uh, they spoke through the, and spoke through how, how um, Pale Blue Dot came about, how that photograph, which is the inspiration for the festival came about uh, from personal experience and stuff. So that was amazing. That was like, wow, couldn't, couldn't be a better opener. Yeah. We then had uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, it was their 42nd birthday. People who know Hitchhikers will know why that's important. Uh, and they were celebrating that at Blue Dot. So they then did an online panel with writers and people, prop makers involved. So that, that was a really nice piece of kind of sci-fi geek culture, which is a big part of Blue Dot as well. It's, it's where space and kind of sci-fi and science kind of meet. Uh, then we had a panel on uh, diversity in STEM. So we wanted, to really, we wanted to really get involved in that conversation and acknowledge it, uh, but we weren't really sure how to start with. Uh, but then actually we had a look at it and we actually did it through having a look at diversity and representation within science, because within science and academia, you know, although we have um, challenges that we try and meet within music, which are ongoing, yeah. I found that within, within science, um, it's, it's as big a problem, if not more. So we're really, really happy to be able to do that as well. <clears throat> and then the fourth one, we got Animatronic um, to speak to Jill Tarter, who is the leading person globally, I believe, in the search for extraterrestrials. So that was just like really cool. Amazing, mate. Do, do you uh, see do you see the podcast playing a role in the festival? now going forward even yeah. when the live side stuff comes yeah so, so that was the idea really we, we were looking going we're not sure when live the live side of it's coming back we're gonna have to engage and talk to the audience in new ways we can't just talk to them about the lineup and the bill and the tickets mm. so how do we do that and we thought well if we spend this time and invest in the podcast and launch it through a week in and out space when we've got the attention we'll then roll it on as a monthly thing so we've now created this this format and this way as, as we're on a podcast today, you know, it's, it's, a good, it's a good way to engage people and it's a good way to have a conversation around subjects. Um, so, yeah, so the next, we haven't, we kind of, we didn't really launch the podcast per se. We, we just kind of invented it as part of a weekend for our space. But we're doing a big kind of repackaging and launch of that with some new episodes, uh, I think at the end of this month, and then it'll become a monthly podcast. Uh, we're tying that in with uh, Blue Dot Journal, which we've changed our kind of newsletter format and we relaunched the website so that people will be getting a monthly email from us with the podcast, you know, with other roundups of things that Blue Dot's kind of partners and things are looking at. So a little bit about science, a little bit about space, 
a little bit about music, a little bit about well-being, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's allowed us to kind of re-articulate the, the, uh, the festival and the brand and the community. It's like we've gone and looked, goes, what is our community? Who, who are, and when we looked at programming the festival, we thought, well, who should we involve in it? And I actually asked Emma, who's our music programmer, Roxy, who's our cultural programmer, and Will, who's our marketing director. I said, look, let's just look at it like this. We've got four versions of Blue Dot that we've done, one that we were going to do. Anybody who has been a part of it through that period is the Blue Dot community and family. Let's just reach out to everybody, you know. So, so we went out to people who performed before. We went out to people who'd spoken before. And we actually looked and we went, that's, that's a huge amount of people. Yeah. Maybe had a hundred speakers each time. That's like four or five hundred speakers in science and culture. And it's like that's a huge community and collection of people that were that were really excited to hear from us as well. They were like, Oh, I've been going through a really hard time. We love Blue Dot, this is fantastic. Yeah, what can we do? And it, and it was just nice to be able to actually be a positive kind of email in people's inboxes and you know, kind of get people excited. So yeah, so that's how we looked at it. So the the tr- the difficulty that we really had was um programming the music because asking bands to do live streams or artists to do live streams when everybody's asking them to do live streams and when actually they're considering doing them themselves yeah. and they have bigger audiences than the festival uh it was quite difficult and you know it's 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 a tough dynamic for everybody to be working through because um brands and you know festivals like ours we don't make any money from doing streams because I mean, I've, I've not looked at it in depth since we started it, but when you're up against Netflix, Disney Plus, and everything else, the idea of Blue Dot charging for content to be streamed is, is just a bit of a non-starter. So it's kind, of, yeah, it's kind of having those conversations with agents and saying, I, you know, we, we, you know, what what money do you want? And they're going, well, let us know. You, you tell us, and then us sending it, sending sending a fee which was, you know, you know, five hundred quid or a grand or something like that. And then them just not replying because of, oh. well, that's not worth my time. But, and, I, and I get that from both sides. And it's that difficult. Yeah. You're thinking you're, the bands we're talking to, their presence and them on a bill digitally, you know, in your head, you think, well, they go out for that in a live space, a stream should be worth that. But from our perspective, I'm having a conversation with, with some of the managers and they're going, can we get this up a little bit more? And it's like, I literally can't because I've got this funding from Arts Council. Otherwise, I've just lost a load of money. I have no income for the year. There's, there's no income to us from this. So yeah, yeah. How, how do we work that dynamic? And I think that'll be an ongoing conversation and, 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 and uh, an issue, really, because if uh, I play in bands myself, you don't want to devalue yourself by being out there and not getting enough money. And, you know, to, for a manager or an agent to turn to a band and go, you know, do you want to put in all the efforts, put this show together and then stream it and then do the hour stream and use the brand and all the all the socials and outlets for such such small amount a lot of the bands are thinking well no nah, i probably won't bother i'll just spend the day in the studio doing something else so uh that was the difficulty of it on the flip side we, we got there with some incredible talent in the end uh orbital um did a special one-off they got the brothers got together and socially distanced in their home studio uh that'd been the first time they'd been together since lockdown which was a, a lovely thing for them to do for us and they also kind of reformed a few years ago. Uh, one of the drivers for them reforming was to play Blue Dot because they thought it was such a cool festival and they, they loved Jodrell Bank. Uh, so that came together really well. Uh, Ronnie Size, that was probably my highlight actually. His set was really, really cool. That was fantastic. We had Dan Avery did something for us as well, which was super cool. Uh, he's just producing a 
promoting a record that he just dropped out of nowhere at the time, so that worked for him. Uh, and then we teamed up with a festival called Negin Negin, which is out in Uganda. Okay. So I, I did some traveling around um, Africa a couple of years ago, got to know the guys out there. Fantastic festival takes place at the source of the Nile. It's about 10,000 cap. Kind of a real, real nice emerging festival scene happening across East Africa. Really, really exciting, really, really raw. Uh, so I reached out to Derek at Neg and Neg and said, you know, is there anything we can do? So we, we actually used some of the Arts Council funds to commission a band called um, the Kampala Unit uh, to, do, uh, to, do a, to do a set for us, which was amazing. Really, really, really cool. And uh, I've got BCUC from South Africa recorded a piece. Um, and yeah, that kind of gave us, gave us the dynamic for that Saturday where we basically started with some family stuff in the morning, clangers got involved. Um, and then in the afternoon from lunchtime, we did the talks. Yep. From four or five o'clock, we did music through, through till 10 o'clock. So we just tried to keep a day's worth of fresh new content for people to engage in. Um, which, as I say, at the start, when you're looking at an entire festival, oh my God, how, 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 which bits and how, seemed like a real task. And as I say, reaching out to everybody, everyone was a little bit confused because it's not booking, you know, you book a band for a gig, everybody knows how that rolls. You know, there the, the was like 10 emails in every conversation. It's like, oh, well, how would you need, how would you need the format? When would you, you know, how, how does this work? What do you actually want this to do? It was like, oh, what do you want, what do you want to do? I don't know. <laughs> you just want the thing, some cool stuff. I don't know. And I think it's really interesting. I'm, I, ben, thank you for sharing some of the, I guess, sticky points of, of putting all that content together. Cause it's very easy, I guess, to share all the highlights and the pros and the, you know, but talking about that financial stream a bit of like the challenges of working with booking agents and artists and everybody coming together to try and make something work both physically, physically, I say physically, but financially and digitally, you know, I, I've said myself that funny the, the kind of the online events, the, the, the live stream and all that kind of stuff is actually lowered the bar somewhat in terms of access to be able to put what we would class as an event on, right? I personally believe that although that these sticky things are coming through at the moment as an industry and I'm sure as, as festival owners and promoters and, and the bands themselves, they'll figure out, you'll figure out a way to work harmoniously going forward. Cause that's the way that it works in the real world when physical events happen, right? Everybody understands the benefits and it's about audience engagement. You've got obviously a fantastic community and a network and, and a platform for them to, you know, to have their music on or to speak. Yes. Okay. Artists at the moment, they can switch their webcam on and they can live stream to Facebook and they can engage their community. But that community is going to still want to see them in person at live events in the future. So, you know, I, I think it'll get worked out at the moment. Everybody's in a sticky situation when it comes to, to, to finances and stuff. But I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you figured it out in the way that you did, because it, it, it gives a great case study to, to the sector. But that, I, I know you've got to, I'm, I'm conscious of time, because I know you've got to go to the, the, the music march that's happening in Manchester today. That brings me on to kind of like one of my burning final questions. And it may be a bit too out there. It may be not something that you can answer right now, but I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are of what does the festival market look like next year in terms of lineup if live events can happen? Because in my head, I'm thinking, 
are artists going to want to travel internationally and, and have that risk? Are they wanting to just do live streams and you know, like just do that from their, the safety of their own home or their own country? What Have you given that much thought? What, what does that look like to you in terms of festival lineups and booking artists and things like that back when live events can happen? Well, it's interesting because at the minute we've got, we carried over the three headliners for Blue Dots. So we've got Bjork, Metronomy, Groove Armada. Uh, we felt it was the right thing to do to, to kind of hold that, you know, that sense of excitement and moment so people could look forward to that blue dot. In terms of the rest of the bill, uh, we've got a couple of things penciled, but I, I've actually now moved my conversation with Emma, who's our programmer on this, three, four weeks in a row. And yeah. I actually don't think there's any point in us looking at it right now. Okay. I, I don't think, we, I don't, because it's so uncertain. I mean, we, we're chatting to bands, we're chatting to other promoters, um across kind of the region and, and kind of nationally and you know they're hearing back from artists moving to us you know back end of this year into next spring there's now a lot of artists moving from next spring into next autumn or just cancelling their tours entirely from an international perspective until they know that they can do them because there just doesn't seem any point yeah uh, there's also artists looking that were touring for band crews and now going down solo shows uh, you know, people having to take a real look at it. So I don't think, I don't think in the short term it's going to be easy to know because it's not going to be led by the festivals. It's going to be led by what the where the availability of the talent is internationally. Who can afford to tour? Who yeah. sees the value in touring and when they can make those decisions? Um, so looking into next year, I know that there will be a huge desire for from artists to play festivals because they love doing it and it's an amazing experience. And that is, you know, for, for me, obviously I'm a little bit biased, but those festival sets and those festival summer shows that the artists do, um, they're, they're, they're like the peak of the summer. The, you see bands at festivals light up like, wow, this, you know what I mean? This, this, this is the one we've been waiting for. Um, so I know that there will be talent there. I know that there will be a huge desire from artists to play where that talent comes from and who that talent is, that's that's going to be the the interesting thing. Whether or not some of the larger scale production shows and bigger touring bands um, won't won't actually be around next year because bands might just have to make those decisions to just um, kind of tighten their belts in terms of the, their outgoings. Sure, yeah. That's going to be a big consideration. Um, and I, and I think probably you know I'm literally thinking this through from yesterday, but you know people having a look at at looking more at regional artists that are in their locations so that they do have the guarantee or, or closer guarantee that they're actually going to be at the shows. Um, but that, that's interesting, Kevin, some conversations yesterday about what, what do we do while there are festivals and actually looking at artist development, looking at focusing on regional audiences, you know, looking at going, okay, well, if we're restricted in this format, you know, let's, let's work with this, let's, let's build on this, you know, um, yeah. that I think will be interesting. And I think that the desire to attend festivals will be very much there. I remember when we launched Event Industry News, it was back in kind of that period of 2008 through to 2010 when there was, you know, the economic crash, the recession that we had back then. And we saw an uplifting spend of people in putting money into, into UK-based festivals and events as their summer break their holiday they're, they're getting away from things you know their escapism as you referred to earlier so that's what i'm really hopeful for next year is i'm i'm the same i've not been away this year on holiday my got cancelled from march it's gone to the back end of the year 
if there was a festival that I could go to for two or three days and camp out with some mates and stuff right now, you, you bet I'd buy those tickets. And I think that'll carry over into next year with some uncertainty around, again, travel restrictions and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess we're really lucky in the UK that we have some amazing talent and bands and homegrown artists and things like that. So I'm sure we, I'm sure the UK lineup won't be, be lacking in as such. It's just really interesting to see how will it be will it be a more uk centric um lineup and international kind of stay international and stuff ben i i really appreciate your time coming on and giving us your your experience and history and and kind of what you see in the future for anybody that's listening and wants to check out what you have available online as a weekend in outer space, if they want, is it possible to still donate to Jod World Bank through, yep, the, through your sites and stuff? Yeah, so uh, we've actually left uh, a weekend in outer space up for longevity. So you go to Blue Dot's website, uh, which is discovertheblue.com, find it on there, or you go to a weekend in outer space.com, uh, and it does what it says on the tin. So yeah, you, you can relive everything that we did. We did the Friday night, there's a really interesting conversation and uh, introduction from the scientists at Trottle Bank, Tim and Teresa. There's a look back on the early years pre-Blue Dot when we did some shows there called Live from Jodrell Bank. Kind of tells the story of, of how, how those shows kind of happened with Flaming Lips, Elbow, Cigarettes, and how that developed into this camping event. Then there's the full day's worth of Saturday stuff, which is all new content uh, that I described earlier. And then we also on the Sunday, we, we ran some highlights uh, Blue Dot through the years, including like Hot Chips set and stuff like that. And then Hannah Peel was really stand out as well. So yeah, there's loads of stuff on there for people to, to explore and have a look at. Uh, and if anybody's listening and they want to get in touch, then uh, my email's ben at fromthefields.co.uk. Uh, the one thing that I think everybody should do right now is just help each other out. And we're here as as entrepreneurs, as friends, as mentors or anything. We're, as from the fields, we have, or had going into COVID, you know, best part of five internal events and three or four client events as festivals and we're, we're looking at how how we work with people that you know are looking to get through this you know so if there's people out there who've got good ideas or you know think that we might be able to help in some way then let us know absolutely i think that's that's a really good good suggestion i will link all of that in the show notes as well so people can easily reach out to to you or engage with a weekend in outer space and again thanks for coming on today's podcast i found it really really interesting and insightful and you know maybe next year we'll actually have a follow-up to this with a camera crew at maybe behind the scenes an interview with you guys on site and actually show people how the how the show's put together i look forward to it yeah that's amazing mate. um <laughs> good luck at the march today i can't be there myself although i would be under normal circumstances um but we'll hopefully get you in another episode coming up. Nice one. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Cheers mate. Thank you.